black and white and red all over. Ian Murta, he can talk football all day. Happy New Year to all my listeners, whether you're living in Berwick, Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough, Yarn, Durham, Bishop Auckland. I'm going to kick off this first show of 2024 with an apology. I'd like to say sorry to Borough fans because this show will concentrate on the first Tyneweir FA Cup derby in nearly 70 years and the first match between the two bitter rivals in almost eight. Now, it, it's a pity because Borough v Villa is a fantastic game. Michael Carrick's cup specialists against a side who could conceivably be the Premier League champions come May. It's a fantastic game in its own right. And isn't it just a pity they're not on different days? Although I think most fans will be able to see both of them because one finishes just after two and the other one kicks off at half five. But it's a magnificent day of Northeast Cup football, but undoubtedly topping the bill is Sunderland v Newcastle. Uh, being a Borough fan, I'd completely disagree. But there you go. Um, you'd expect me to. No, I can stick my I can stick my sports journalists head on, and um, and we've had an early WhatsApp come in as well, and it, it's an interesting one. It's uh, it's Sai who's in Spennymore. He's asking the question about how you report on Derby, big Derby days. You know, and do you report any differently? So, uh, how do you approach these big derby matches, Ian? And do you approach Great them question. any any differently to what would be a normal Premier League game or a Championship game? I, I think, as a, as a national newspaper writer, you've got to stay steadfastly neutral. You want both teams to win. You dread both teams losing. A draw, you yes, it might suit you, but from a journalistic point of view, it's not the great story. It's one of the it it. It's a paradox. It's a glorious paradox, isn't it? But um, I've covered many, many games, and uh, I would think Sunderland are probably edging it in terms of victories after their recent run since 2011. Uh, but I haven't covered it quite as long as my first guest, Dave. Now, my first guest is a hero of mine, my journalistic hero. I grew up thinking, I want to be the next John Gibson. I don't think I quite achieved that, but I worked with John for a while. I consider him a good friend. And my goodness, a lot of people are saying to me, what, you saw your first derby in the 1970s? And I'm quite proud of that fact, but my goodness, I'm a novice compared to John. Well, John, I've been wanting to invite you onto the black and white and red all over show for a long time. And I wanted to save it for a special occasion. And what better occasion than the first show of the year on the eve of the first Tyneweir derby in seven and a half years and the first in the FA Cup since 1956. I mean, it couldn't be set up better, Ian, could it? I mean, we have missed derbies so, so much. As you said, it's March 2016 since we last had one. Um, and the way I've been brought up, my love of Newcastle United, which is obvious, um, they first, when the fixture list came out, when we're in the same divisions, the first ones I looked for were the derbies. You can play Manchester United, you can play Liverpool, Arsenal, whoever you like, but the games that really stir the blood more than anything is Newcastle v Sunderland. And so, welcome back to them. I'm delighted to have uh, that game happening tomorrow. 
Absolutely. Now, John, I, I consider myself a, a little bit of an expert on Tanweer derbies. I've been to a few of them, but I guess I'm a bit of a novice compared to you. <laughs> That's Did called we... Adrian. That's called <laughs> age, mate. Uh, Tell me, were you, uh, you what that, that 1956 FA Cup tie? Yeah, yes, but I was a pen. I, I hasten to oh, add. I know which, that. Uh, I know that. I didn't. I didn't have a pen in my hand or a laptop <laughs> or any. But yes, I mean the amazing thing is that in '56, uh, Newcastle were fully expected to go to um, uh, Wembley yet again and win the FA Cup for the fourth time in six mm -hmm. years, when yes. when the played Sunderland and they got uh, they got beat and that was a shock to the system for um, Newcastle United fans but equally interesting you know Ian is if you go back from that just one year to 1955 which is the last time Newcastle United ever won the FA Cup they beat Manchester City in the final at Wembley 3-1 what people have forgotten or just don't know is mm. that that could have been the ultimate derby that final at Wembley should have been Newcastle v Sunderland because Manchester City beat Sunderland in the other semi-final right. of That's the right. FA Cup when Newcastle uh, beat York in a replay the Sunderland lost the other semi-final to Man City 1-0 or it would have been Newcastle v Sunderland in an FA Cup final at Wembley. That would have been something, wouldn't it? Absolutely, wouldn't it? Just, I mean, you know, that that's always been our dream, hasn't it? Having, having well, well, a notice yes. showdown at, uh, at Wembley. Now, John, I mean, all our... Listeners will know that your, your, your black and white blood running through you and you're one of the longest serving yeah. journalists in the country. But I think it is fair to say that you've got a lot of close contacts, close friends who, who are of the Sunderland persuasion as well. I, I can remember when we worked together and our wonderful lunches yeah. at the Fisherman's Wharf <laughs> and uh, with the Newcastle yes. Sunderland managers and players. And we had some, there were great times. So talk about that. Yeah, they, they were lovely times. I mean, people uh, people like Smithy, Busby, Crosby became personal friends over a period of time. Yes. And I mean, I got so much help off people like that. When I was at Gateshead, Peter Reid, for example, when I was at Gateshead, gave me a couple of players on loan to help me off. We were playing in the Conference League then to, to help me in that division. Um, I went to play uh, Cambridge United in the FA Cup. In the yeah. second round of the FA Cup, I took Gateshead to uh, Cambridge United, who were managed by Crosby, who had Smithy as uh, one of the scouts. And I went in the boot room before the game with all these old players. And Crosby, remember, who took Sunderland to a cup final, uh, yes. I employed him as my manager at Gateshead for a short while when he was out of a job in the foot. League, and yes. um, one other one other interesting involving Sunderland, interesting um, FA Cup situation. When I was again with Sunderland, uh, with when I was with Gateshead, we went as a non-league club to play Halifax Town in the first round of the FA Cup, and in those days Halifax were a league side, and we went down to the Shea to play Halifax, and they he. 
their club was managed by Paul Bracewell, ex Newcastle and Sunderland, of course. Indeed, indeed. And, and we and, course, and we won yeah. two nil. We won and two that, nil, and uh, I, Brace and had to Brace. Yes, yes. Brace had a turnaround afterwards and be very, very formal. I mean, I knew him from playing for Newcastle. I knew him for when I went down to see Reedy uh, at Roker Park and he was Reedy's number two and we used to have a chat. And he had to come in the boardroom afterwards all sedate and say, Mr Chairman, uh, congratulations, you deserve that. And I'm, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, sure. I came back, what? you know, and I came back from that game just to... I came from that back from that game so late on the team coach and I invited off the team to come into town with me in Newcastle to have something to eat and continue the party and they all agreed to, to do that and I Fantastic. burst into my local restaurant in, in Newcastle through the door and froze because we were shouting and bawling the odds because we'd just won in the cup. And there in front of me, sitting like a, a herd of zebras, were about 12 Newcastle United fans in that black and white strip. And that afternoon, Newcastle had lost at home to Sunderland 2-1. It was the game when to uh, Thomas Sorensen saved the Shearer saved penalty. Shearer penalty. I, and I'm, I'm coming in celebrating <laughs> like so-and-so. And I, and I went straight across and said, hey, guys, I'm sorry. I'm desperately sorry. But And they said, Gibbo, I know the result. Well done, Gateshead. As far as we're concerned, that's the only good thing that's happened today because those fans were so brace more as a Mackham than, than a Newcastle United player because, he, you know, he did so much with Sunderland, didn't he, yes, Grace? Yes. And so I, I'd at least have beaten a Sunderland guy that day <laughs> if Newcastle United hadn't. But, uh, yeah. I mean, loads. And just, if, I mean, Porterfield, after he won the Cup in 73, for some reason, because I was a Newcastle United fan as well as reporter, but, but I got on so well with him and did talkings with him, he actually asked me to write his book and I ghosted his book the Impossible Dream, which was about um, him winning the FA Cup in 73. So there's always been a connection there. And in the old days, we could do talk-ins, you know, Ian. Um, Newcastle and Sunderland talk-ins. I remember, John, talk I remember. I used I, to, I, when, when you couldn't do them, you say to me, Ian, can you, do, can you nip up to Ashington Cricket Club right. and talk Mickey Quinn and Marco? I remember. The good old days. Right. The good old days. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And we were able to put two centre-forwards, as you've just said, Ian, on, on stage to it was, it was often Gabbers or Don Goodman and somebody yes. like Mick Quinn from Newcastle. And, right. you know, it got, a, it got a bit lively with the crowd as the drink went down, as you can imagine, but we're able to do it. I don't think these days they would want Newcastle and Sunderland players on the same stage at the same time with, with a crowd in with beer for about five hours. But there we go. But happy, happy memories. I mean, yes, Wonderful I am. Wonderful memories. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. I mean, I am an out-and-out -out Newcastle United cradle-to-grave guy. Um, but ironically, I've had as many friends come out of, of, of Sunderland when I look at Monty and Hughes and little Bobby Kern, Dennis Stewart, uh, as, as I have out of Newcastle. But my heart is, you know, if um, when I go to see my maker, it'll be a black and white shirt on me. Well, Jimmy Montgomery's rivaling you as the Peter Pan of Northeast football. You're, you're both looking pretty good, considering you've got an eight in front of you. <laughs> Sorry for that. Listen, let, let, let's let's talk derbies, and I think you yes. know, the fact is, a Newcastle fan has to be 
roughly 20 years old to remember Newcastle winning a derby while a Sunderland fan has to be roughly a teenager to remember them playing top flight opposition regularly. So it, it's a strange one, isn't it? You know, Newcastle's last it win was, was, was the Ryan Taylor over the wall in August 2011. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. I mean, I remember some uh, darned recent, as you well say, but I mean, there's things that leap out uh, in my memory. Newcastle United games are more recent for exa- that I thoroughly enjoyed. For, for example, Alan Shearer's goodbye match, as you would remember, Ian, yep. uh, mm-hmm. when he scored his 206th goal of a fabulous Newcastle career, was at the Stadium of Light. Um, uh, so that was an extra special derby. And a lot of people forget, you know, because all they remember from that game, Ian, is Shearer. But... Uh, what is also interesting is Michael Chopper, the young striker who played in derbies for both Newcastle and Sunderland, That's scored right. the quickest goal scored by a substitute in a Tyneweir derby. He scored the fastest goal 13 seconds after coming on as a sub for Newcastle. He scored a goal, which is the record to this day. Um, I mean, I also look back, Liam O'Brien's free kick over the wall, which won it for the entertainers. It was about the 10th or 11th victory in a row. Uh, Ironically, the next week we were at home to a nondescript side and got beat. But it's the season Newcastle won promotion and the start of the entertainers under Keegan. If I go back far enough, Ian, December 67, years of one, December 67, what was memorable about that? Well, it was at Roker Park, Newcastle were 3-1 down late in the second half and heading for an inevitable defeat. Um, Ollie Burton pulled one back, he scored two penalties that day in about the 93rd minute, big John McNamee, the big centre-half, mm-hmm. went a bullet a bullet header uh, to make it 3-3 and swung on the crossbar. I thought he was going to bring it down. A famous picture. Oh, wonderful picture. Yeah, and one of the great hard men of football, uh, Big John. Sadly, these days, not in good health at all, bless him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Struggling with dementia in Cockermouth, which is where he lives. But uh, a lot of happy memories of of John McNamee. I also have memories, before you say I'm biased, and I am biased, I also (laughs) sat rigid, rigid, when the playoffs for us to get promoted. Uh, Newcastle got a no-no draw at Walker Park when Budgie saved a penalty. Hardin, Paul Hardiman, I think it was from. And then yep. we come up to St. James's Park and, and Sunderland had qualified from the lowest position for the playoffs and we qualified from the highest position for the playoffs and Sunderland took us apart 2-0 at St. James's Park and a couple of my mates who were your mates as well, the G-men, Gabbiadini and Gates, yes. scored, yes, scored the right. two goals. And Mick, Mick Quinn said to this day that that's been the greatest disappointment in his footballing life to lose that game and, and therefore lose promotion. Uh, so I've sat through the bad times as well as the good times, Ian. Of course, and I mean, there's so many iconic moments as well. I remember when Jermaine Defoe scored that screaming volley against, I think John Cobb was Newcastle manager at the time, another good friend of ours, and he was yeah. so he he was so uh, moved by the by the emotion of it all. He, he walked off the pitch at half time in tears. 
And, and then, yes. of course, I'm thinking, you know, I was talking to Sholo Amiobi just a few weeks ago, and, you know, he loves his, his reputation as the Mackham Slayer. The 5 1 game yes. at St. James's uh, was probably his finest hour in a Newcastle shirt. And then, of course, yes. I couldn't forget, and I was at the Michael Beale press conference uh, the other day, and he, he, he was asked, is he going to do a Paolo Di Canio and slide down the touchline? <laughs> and, of course, you know, that, not a happy memory for the black and whites, but certainly for the red and whites, and that has got to be one of the most famous matches in, in recent history. Yeah, and uh, we have had Sunderland managers doing that. It was Gus Poyer through that run I've talked about, the three draws right. and six defeats for Newcastle. Right. We had Gus Poyer doing the same thing. and um, But De Canio being De Canio, and I remember he had this immaculate Italian suit on. I mean, he looked a million dollars. And all of a sudden, he's racing down the touchline and doing a slide. I mean, he even did more than uh, Mourinho did when he was at Old Trafford, remember? And he ran down the yes, touchline. that's right. But, but at that's least right. he just ran down. De Canio decided to give it the whole work sort of thing. But, um, yeah, the, the, and these are the times that we've missed. Uh, there's no question about that. We want them back. This is a one-off, totally unexpected, that, they, you know, we would draw each other at the first hurdle for Newcastle uh, in the FA Cup that we draw each other but we need them back and the only way of getting them back regularly is to have the the two teams in the same division and I, I think we both want that to be the Premier League and certainly not in the Championship I would argue that most Newcastle fans would want Sunderland in, in the Premier League, probably fighting a relegation battle, of course, but I think I would yeah. imagine 70 to 70% of Newcastle fans would want the derby back on a, on a season-to-season basis. They, they would, as long as we, got, long as we yeah. got six points at the end of it, Ian. <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, you know, as we've said, the derby's been a very, very happy hunting ground for, for Sunderland fans in, in the last... Uh, uh, well, for the last few months. Let, let's let's throw ourselves forward this weekend. It's the young, yes, the young wannabes with bags of potential against the out of sorts pedigree side, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, you can't get away from facts. And the Newcastle United go into this match into this match on a run of seven defeats in their last eight games and all competitions. They go in uh, with the derby record we've already spoke about. No wins in the last nine derbies. Three draws, six mm. defeats. We also in go into the game Newcastle United having under how fallen at the first hurdle of the FA Cup, which is Indeed. the third round for us, yes. in the last two seasons against teams from lower divisions. A couple of years Cambridge back, Cambridge Sheffield United. Wednesday. That's right. Sheffield That's Wednesday. Right. And, Sheffield and Wednesday. therefore, yeah. on an unwanted hat-trick, because Sunderland are a team from a division down, and so on an unwanted hat-trick. Now, this match, I think, and perhaps other people do not, but this match is, there's more pressure on Eddie Howe than there is on Beale. Because Agreed. Sunderland have Agreed. got some wiggle room. If Sunderland lose to Newcastle, fans will be sickened, Sunderland fans, etc., etc. But a week later, they'll be saying, let's make the playoffs the most important things to get promotion, etc., etc., and they'll be off optimistically. If Newcastle, after seven defeats in the last eight games, 
lose to Sunderland with Manchester City at home and Aston Villa away to follow, it'll be like the world's falling in. There's a, yeah. it, the pressure is much more on Howe than it is on Beal. It is. And, you know, logic says that the team that costs £500 million to build will beat the side that costs £10 million to build, irrespective of the fact that the vast majority of the stadium-like crowd will be red and white. But since when was football worked out like that? It, it, it is a very tricky game for Newcastle under the circumstances that go into it. It is. Uh, there's no question. Newcastle have got more to lose than Sunderland have got to lose. But yes. having said that, with my black and white hat on, which I've got to have on, you can't see, but I've, it's there. It's the big black and white topper. Um, with that hat on, I've got to say that, you know, Newcastle are in dire form. Before we went to Liverpool, I said... We will lose at Liverpool. It didn't take a genius to think that. We will lose no. at Liverpool, but the game we can win to end this sort of horrendous run and the game that we must target is Sunderland. Because Newcastle, you're right what you've said about Sunderland, etc., etc. But also, if you're in the Newcastle camp, you've got to say, listen, this, this, we, this season have played in the Champions League while Sunderland have played in the Championship. That is the difference in class. They've also got to say that, yes, we're away from home and our away record in the Premier League is absolutely shocking. One win all season. But you know what? This is not a Premier League game. This is a cup game. And let us remember, four results away from home we have got this season. We've gone to Manchester United in the Carabao Cup and won 3-0. We've gone to Chelsea in the same competition and in 90 minutes drew 1-1. Lost on penalties, but drew 1-1 in the actual game. In the Champions League, we've gone to AC Milan and drawn, and we've gone to Paris Saint-Germain and drawn. Now, with utmost respect to, and with utmost respect to Sunderland, they're not better than Manchester United, Chelsea, AC Milan and Paris Saint-Germain. And Newcastle have got results at those four Rounds, which if they get on Saturday, either a win at the first attempt or a draw to have a replay at St James's, then that'll be a decent result. They should not go into the game feeling inferior because they've got a poor record game by game at the moment. I think you make an excellent point about Newcastle's Cup ties away from home because they, they, apart, apart from the Borussia Dortmund defeat, they, they have played well in them. With Sunderland, Michael Beale made the point, he said, I have got players who are very ambitious to play in the Premier League, but they've got to prove they're good enough. And he's right. I personally believe that Sunderland are sitting on a gold mine of talent. You know, there are some of those kids are very, very good. But they've only played top flight opposition once in, yeah. in in their Sunderland careers. That was against Fulham last year, John. And they they could have won down at, um, down at Craven Cottage. And I was at the replay at the Stadium of Light and for about 20, 25 minutes, Sunderland Rove roared and it looked relatively easy for, for Fulham. Yeah. But in the end, Sunderland, they got that little tick-attack of football going again and Marco Silva's side were hanging on for dear life at, at, at the death. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen a, a lot of Sunderland, but I must say that this Jack Clark uh, could easily play in the Premier League again. I mean, you know, he he is 
a wonderful talent and Newcastle defence will have a problem uh, looking after him because they've got to sit on him and snuff him out. I mean, he was a, he really had a reputation before he came to Sunderland. He was a young star at Leeds uh, and played well enough for Spurs to spend £10 million on him. He looks a natural Premier League player and if he doesn't yeah. go up with Sunderland I think he'll go he'll be transferred and go up with somebody else um, and I'm not wishing him away from Sunderland yes. fans uh, you know let him go up with Sunderland but he won't stay in the championship um, he is a good good player and Newcastle have got to be very very wary of him because the back four our back four it it Liverpool were frightening. And the point I would like to make on that is, you know, we talk about deciding on what the team... First and foremost, how must put his best side out, what he considers his best side. Oh, he can't mix a match... Oh, he, he dare not. He dare not. Absolutely. But he, at Manchester United, he put out 10 outfield players who were reserves. But when you get the team sheet in these days, I look at it and you, if you see some names and you feel reassured, but but they're not playing to the capacity that they can. Botman's been off the pace since coming back injured. Yeah. Burnson's yeah. coming back injured. Longstaff looks wishy-washy. Gordon hasn't got the legs that he had. Players that aren't on the side. Almiron's got dropped because he's just looked average. Wilson, before his injury, never got up to speed. Trippier's made mistake after mistake after mistake. So you see the names on the team sheet 10 minutes before the kickoff, and you think, oh, I'm reassured we've got big names there. But they don't perform like big names. I mean, I looked at Botman and Shaw, who have been wonderful for Newcastle last season, at Liverpool got pulled all over the shop. And yet, John, and yet, John, I'm going to ask you for prediction and you are going to go for an away win, aren't you? Um, well, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, absolutely. Because while all that is true, I still believe that if we adopt the right attitude and pick the best team, and how we'll pick the best team, if we adopt the right attitude, man for man, we should have an advantage over Sunderland and therefore should make it count. Now, if it has to go to a replay, because the replay would be at St. James's, obviously, then I would settle for that on Saturday. But I'm thinking that they can win narrowly on the day, and that's what I'm taking, an away win on the day, but as long as we are in the hat for the fourth round, because not being in the hat for the fourth round is unthinkable for us. It's not unthinkable, I would suggest, for Sunderland. Yeah, well, I, I, John, I'm thinking back to a derby at Roker Park back in 1996 when Newcastle had just bought Sheeran, Peter Reid had just taken Sunderland back into the top flight. And if you remember, it was a Newcastle side full of the stars like Beardsley, Ferdinand. Sunderland were yeah. hard-working, very, very a good collective side. Sunderland went ahead to what uh, 1-0 with the Martin Scott penalty and then... The Newcastle's class told Ferdinand and I think it was Beards he scored in the second half. It wouldn't surprise me, if I was to put a bet on this game, it wouldn't surprise me to see Sunderland take the lead and Newcastle edging it in the end. So I'm going for a 2-1 away win, but I think Sunderland will walk off that pitch with their heads held high, having given their bitter rivals a real fright. 
Well, um, I wouldn't begrudge him holding the heads high as long as we are holding <laughs> sure the, uh, the the wind ticket. <laughs> John, can you can you promise me this? When one of the Northeast teams is playing at the FA Cup final in May, will you come back on? Oh, I would be absolutely delighted <laughs> to do that. I mean, I would be... Th- the unfortunate thing is it can't be Newcastle v Sunderland in the FA of Cup course. final. But I mean, yeah. I was there in... While Newcastle remained closest to my heart, I was there in 73 to see Porterfield score and Monty do his fabulous double save. And I was there when... Um, Crosby played against Souness in the final uh, when Sunderland played Liverpool. Um, and I think believe we went it or not, the, in the league. That's what I was Sorry? going to say. I, I think we went to the same Russian restaurant on the eve of the 1992, 1998 and 1999 Cup Finals. Can you remember? Yes, we did, mate. Yes, Cup. I do remember <laughs> ever, ever so well, my friend. But um, A bit more enjoyable yeah, than the following days. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Anyway, John, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and uh, enjoy your weekend, although I think that might be dependent on a certain result. There's no question about that. That'll decide (laughs) everything for me. But um, I'm looking forward to it because we need derbies and it's wonderful to have it back. Let's make them regular again, Ian. Absolutely. Thank you very much, John. Uh, All the best. Take care. Thanks a lot, mate. Take care. Bye-bye. Do you know, I could have had an hour-long special with John. John can talk the back end <laughs> of a donkey. He's, he's fantastic. And, you know, he would, he would have carried on. He has a, a bank full of memories. Fantastic. I've got, uh, I've got both of those memories of John. Him as a journal and obviously mm. working as part of the North East Press Pack. Uh, but also him as uh, chairman of, uh, of Gateshead. That's because right. I used to referee in the Unibond League when, they're, when they dropped down into the Unibond League. So, um, and then, uh, obviously, in the conference as it was. So, I uh, got to see him there as well. And uh, he's in his 80s now. It's his birthday today and he's still going strong. He's still got the enthusiasm of a child. Wonderful. Absolutely. Happy birthday. Mm, indeed. Listen, listen uh, Dave, I mean, you are neutral. And uh, I've, I heard you sit on the fence during the three legends, so I'm going to ask you straight, what's going to happen in the derby? What's going to happen in the derby? Um, Sunderland should have no right to win because of the the mismatch now. I mean, the, I know Sunderland have won the last six, uh, but when you look at uh, not just player for player, squad for squad, but the club against club, um, the investment that Newcastle's got, the infrastructure that they've got, uh, the quality of players that they've got, there's there's no way Sunderland should win this one. But, and I'll say it with a big but, this is a derby match. And mm. I hate the cliche, the form book goes out of the window. Uh, it's going to have to for, for Newcastle to come away with a win. Um, but I just think Newcastle have got too much for Sunderland. So I'm going to go for, oh, let me think. Um, uh, I'd like to give Sunderland a goal, but I don't even see it. Newcastle 2-0. Mm, I, think, I think it's going to be a little bit tighter than that. As I mentioned in my interview with John, I, I can recall that those two Fulham games last season when Sunderland really did they, they, they shook Fulham, albeit they lost it uh, in the replay, but they, they gave them a real scare. This season, Sunderland went down to Leicester, who, let's face it, are a Premier League side in all but name. And again, they lost 1-0, but mm-hmm. they played very, very well. And New, Newcastle, you know, Newcastle went to, went to Luton and lost badly. So... 
You know, something to do have hope. I, I believe the side that Michael B will send out will have at least seven players who within two years will be playing regular Premier League football. And look, now, anything can happen. Anything can happen, yeah, Ian. We absolutely. discussed it on the on the three legends where the lads were saying anything can happen. Referee decision. You know, you, you could see a red card in the first 10 minutes and suddenly Newcastle are down to 10 men for 80, 85 minutes of, of, of the remaining game. Well, I think there's going to be a few bets on red cards. You know, I think a few Sunderland fans are worried about Luco Nine, whether he'll be a little bit too impetuous. And of course, Bruno Gomeres, who is Newcastle's star player in effect, he, he's been quite fortunate to escape a red card this season, I think. Yeah, a couple of incidents I've seen where um, it, it, the decision could have gone uh, against him. Uh, he got away with it. I think there was one involving a forearm. Uh, if I remember correctly, just just about uh, five or six games ago. Uh, so he got away with that one lightly. But um, yeah, anything can happen. And I'm holding out hope exactly the same down at the Riverside tomorrow for Borough against Villa. You know, refereeing decision in Borough's favour very early on could see Villa reduced. But, uh, you know, that's another mountain to climb. Indeed. I heard the three legends talking and I was intrigued by what Craig Kigner said about that game. I believe that... that to a certain extent, Michael Carrick will prioritise the Chelsea, the first leg of the uh, Carabao Cup semi-final on Tuesday. I'm not saying he'll send out a weakened side tomorrow, but for argument's sake, Hayden Hackney, I think he'll be back in the squad. I would suspect he might be on the bench tomorrow and be given 20 minutes at the end and he'll start against Chelsea. It's a tough game tomorrow. Again, I think Villa will win. I think Villa are an outstanding side. I wouldn't call them so much surprise packets this season, but they are the side who, who probably caught the imagination more than anyone else this season. And super, super side. I would suspect, again, Emery would make one or two changes. But Michael Carrick, he, he's got Middlesbrough. They're an inconsistent side. Where I do give Middlesbrough a little bit of hope is the way that Michael Carrick uh, set up the side against Leicester, who, as I said a few moments ago, will be playing Premier League football next season. Middlesbrough were outstanding that day, and I suspect there might be a very, very similar game plan against Villa tomorrow night. And uh, Middlesbrough, I, don't, I think they will be cautious, not ultra-defensive, but I think they'll be looking to close down space and then maybe rely on a set-piece or a, set, uh, a moment of magic from Sam Greenwood, who <laughs> scored the winner against the Foxes. So, you know... I think Middlesbrough have a 30-70 chance of pulling off a result. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm going to be watching it with uh, uh, with biased uh, eyes. Um, it's 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 a huge ask. It's not just a Premier League team. It's a Premier League team who are in form, who are in second in the table. But maybe just that 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 point alone, where they're second in the table, Villa, they're now in the second half of the season. You know, could they be starting to think, well, we're in a Champions League spot here. Mm-hmm. Let's yes. um, let's not take too many chances, potential injuries in this game. Let's give the lads a bit of rest, look after the legs, and it just depends how many changes. Yeah, but li- listen, isn't it wonderful? This is the black and white and red all over show. This is a show which talks week by week about Newcastle, Sunderland and Middlesbrough. Isn't it wonderful that those three clubs are being talked about the length and breadth of Great Britain? Yeah, and both featured TV games tomorrow. So that's, Indeed, you know, absolutely. yes, uh, um, the neutrals are hoping for a, a, an upset at the Riverside and the underdogs borrow win. Uh, and obviously there's the attraction of that uh, North East derby uh, for the other TV cameras as well. So, yeah, but second guest time, quick break, uh, Ian, and, uh, and then you'll be chatting some more. Indeed I will. I'll be talking to someone who couldn't be more of a contrast with John Gibson. 
You'll have to wait until after the news to find out who it is. Black and white and red all over. He can talk football all day. Ian Murta. The red, the cat and the tan. Well, my first guest, John Gibson, has been to more derbies than he's had top dinners. My next guest is a tiny weird derby novice, but that doesn't mean to say he hasn't got a great contribution ahead of him. Uh, Oscar Paul has been at the Sun for four years. That means he hasn't covered a Sunderland v Newcastle fixture. But if his build-up work is anything as good as what he writes tomorrow, then you're in for a treat. I've thoroughly enjoyed your stuff in the sun this week, uh, Oscar, especially your interview today with uh, Eric Gates. Wow. Ian, thank you for the, um, thank you for the introduction. Um, and yes, after 32 years on this planet, I um, tomorrow finally get to pop my cherry. So um, I look forward to that. <laughs> And, um, 51, yes, lovely, 51 lovely... years younger than Gibbo. 51 years younger than yes. Gibbo. And he's still, he's still better on the dance floor than you are. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> you haven't seen me on the dance floor. <laughs> <laughs> Listen there, Oscar. Before we go on to the derby, I wanted to bring you on this show because you have got a, a very special connection with the North East. Now, you're a self-confessed Ipswich fan, but you are also the great-nephew of one of... Ipswich's most famous sons, John Cobble. Now, I was looking up and he was described as the most eccentric man in English football. But more importantly, more significantly, your relatives were described as the best chairman, the best directors mm. that the country has ever seen by somebody, the North East's favourite son, Sir Bobby Robson. Tell me about, mm. uh, tell me about your great uncle, well, to talk about my great uncle, I've got to go to his father. So my great grandfather, mm. who was the one who founded uh, and made Ipswich professional, turned Ipswich professional in the thirties. His son Johnny, so my great uncle, yes, he took the reins, um, old Etonian aristocrat type, and um, well, he was, he was long before my time. I was brought up on stories of him from my own dad, and um, yeah, to bring it back to the northeast, he hired Bobby Robson as um, in 1969 as, well, an unknown back then. I think he'd had one season at mm. Fulham as a manager. Um, and, yeah, he brought him in. Um, it went disastrously at the start. I think the, the fans were chanting for Robson out five or six years in when, when nothing had happened. And um, Bobby got the call from my uncle the next morning to come into the uh, chairman's office, which which is never a good sign for a manager, is it? Uh, when the fans have been chanting for your mm. name. Uh, I think Bobby spoke in his autobiography that he thought that was it. He was toast. Uh, and yeah, Johnny brought him in and said, look, Bobby, look, look, the way that you were treated last night was a disgrace. Um, here's a five-year contract. Uh, Bobby signed it. And from then, he, it really went from strength to strength. We were top four every year, FA Cup, UEFA Cup. Mm. Uh, England, England nabbed him and, and the rest is history, isn't it? And of course, one of the most famous answers that's ever been in football, when a, a journalist asked your uncle, uh, Chairman, is there a crisis at Ipswich? And your uncle stared at the said journalist and said, my son, there is only a crisis when the claret runs out in the boardroom. <laughs> the white wine, actually. Uh, was it the white <laughs> wine? I do apologise. I think it was. I think it was the white wine. No, he liked to drink. Uh, it's been passed down <laughs> through the generations. Uh, yes, it has. No, <laughs> a, an absolute character. I was grew up on stories of him and Bobby. Um, if, if you take it to uh, drinking at football matches, I think one of my favourite was Ipswich were playing Leicester 
away. So Leicester in blue, Ipswich in blue and white, but we're in yellow. Johnny watching on uh, at half-time. Ipswich were losing 2-0, but Johnny hadn't quite worked out that Ipswich were wearing yellow that day. So saw Bobby at half-time and... Um, Bloody hell, Bobby! Marvelous performance. Two 0 up at Leicester away, and <laughs> yeah, really had to turn around. Had to turn around to Johnny's. So I'm really sorry, John, but we're actually losing, mate. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Uh, which is a good one. Yeah, fantastic. Now, Oscar, you you grew up on uh, East Anglia derbies, uh, Ipswich against Norwich. I think you probably admit that you're expecting something a little more intense. <laughs> Uh, tomorrow, wow. you, you've been in the northeast four years. You've covered Champions League football, the rise and rise of Newcastle under mm. anyhow. You've seen Sunderland transformed from a League One side to one of the most promising sides in the Championship. Uh, you've, and we'll move on to Middlesbrough later. It, it's a pity that I'm sure you would have loved to have covered both games this weekend, but uh, I'm sure you'll be getting back home to watch Boa v Villa. We'll, we'll briefly talk about that later. But let's talk about the derby. How excited are you? Wow, it's what I've been waiting for, Ian. Um, mm. Ipswich, Norwich. A lot of people from outside East Anglia don't quite get it. It is intense, but it's, wow, it's nothing like what tomorrow is going to be from everything I hear, really, um, yeah. at the Stadium of Light. I mean, I'm going to put a question back to you, Ian. In, in my four years up in the northeast, I've heard many times from you uh, which which ground you believe is, is the loudest of the two. Are you, are you willing to commit that to radio? Uh, I, I think, well, there was a very famous story that uh, the first derby at the Stadium of Light was a 2-2 draw. Newcastle went 2-0 up and Kevin Phillips, who was on fire that season, scored two goals and it was 2-2 and the stadium-like crowd were absolutely raucous. Now, at the time I was working for the Journal and we were interviewing Bobby Robson, funny enough, and Kieran Dyer, another of Ipswich's favourite sons afterwards. And they both said it was the loudest atmosphere they'd ever been in in their footballing lives. And of course, the Journal printed this and both of them got quite a lot of stick from Newcastle fans now what I would say I think as an arena because Sunderland is a bowl I think acoustically it is a louder ground than Newcastle and I think most people who've been not I'm not saying better fans I'm not saying they make more noise but the acoustics at the stadium of light are louder because of course Newcastle is a a, a wonderfully impressive ground and I hope they stay there but because the east stand is so much smaller than the other stands some of the noise does escape so Sunderland is a more even match so I expect both sets of fans to create mm-hmm. quite a racket tomorrow yeah as well navig- navigated Ian um, I can't wait uh, I'm going to be down there at St James's Park early in the morning uh, soaking it all up at uh, seeing the 6,000 fans going off in their um, 120 coach convoy um and wow, six thousand fans in the in the Stadium of Light. I mean, Ian, you tell me, has there ever been a bigger away following at, at one of the grounds? Well, you know, I can remember as a kid, the biggest away following, and you could have a million guesses, and you wouldn't get this one. One of the biggest away followings I've ever seen in the northeast was Brighton at Newcastle. It was the day after the nineteen seventy nine election, when Brighton <laughs> needed to win at St James's Park to get promotion to the top flight for the first time. And there were thousands upon thousands of fans there. And the funny thing was, Newcastle fans were on Brighton's side because Brighton going up denied Sunderland automatic promotion that day. So that was a bizarre atmosphere. I always remember (laughs) that one. 
I also yeah. remember Sunderland at Manchester City uh, back in uh, 1991 when uh, there were the official away, you know, the people always always exaggerate away followings, but the official following was of away fans was 14,500. And, of course, you're not going to have that these days, but that, that was pretty staggering as well. Sunderland lost 3-2 and got relegated, yeah. but it, it, it was quite a day. Newcastle, the, the best away following I've ever seen from Newcastle was back in 1984, Oscar, when they got right. absolutely thrashed 4-0 in a televised Friday night game at Liverpool. And believe you me, they were lucky to get nil that day. <laughs> that was the famous night that Kevin Keegan decided he was going to retire because he was in a chase for a loose ball with Mark Lawrenson, who was, along with Hansen, were the two finest defenders of the era. And he lost out to him. And a few days later, he said that was the game which convinced him that he couldn't continue another season wow. so there's just a, wow. a, a little snippet yeah. on a great no, away following i i can't wait to to sample the atmosphere and i'm intrigued to see what it's like given what happened yesterday on we side with um yes. uh i mean it was put to eddie howe that there may be a theory that that will stoke the fires of sunderland fans but i don't know they were they were raging at their own club yesterday which is the last thing you want 48 hours before a derby so um yeah, I'm just intrigued to soak it all up. Uh, I, I can't wait. So, listen, what's going to happen? I know you've seen a lot of Sunderland this season. You've probably seen even more of Newcastle. Uh, let's talk Sunderland first. You're quite impressed by their style of football, aren't you? I have been, I have been for a while. Um, as an Ipswich boy, uh, uh, Tony Mowbray was a childhood hero of mine from a certain player, uh-huh. final yeah. goal, um, his last ever uh, act in football as a player. And yeah, their, their run to the playoffs last year, watching them at times, um, some of the goals, incredible. Um, they've got a, they're going about it a certain way, aren't they? Michael Beale spoke about it. Uh, he said, you know, Newcastle are doing it one way, spending as much money as they can, doing it as quickly as possible. We're doing it differently. We're, we're, we're going young. We're going down the development route. Um, I don't know how every, all Sunderland fans, whether they all appreciate that necessarily. They're, you know, they're a big old mm-hmm. club in for the championship. Um, I haven't actually seen them under Michael Beale yet, so I'm intrigued to see how he's how he's developed that. But um, I mean, look, Jack Clark scoring goals for fun at the moment, isn't he? What is he? 12, 13 goals this season from out wide, um, lacking a focal point, of course. Um, but it's young, it's energetic, it's exciting. Interested to see how Joe Bellingham gets on tomorrow. Um, mm. Yeah, in terms of style of play, yes. Um, but they need to get out of that division, don't they? I mean, let's of be course they do. Of course they do. And it is. I guess it's it's a very it's it's almost a cheap shot saying how many of the Sunderland team would get into the Newcastle side. Well, I'll answer that. None. Even Jack Clark would probably he'd be on the bench. I like take him over Miggy Almiron. Uh, yes, but I don't think in a full strength Newcastle side. Uh, he's in form. Almiron's not in form. Almiron. Mm. Let, let let let's. Let's not forget what he has done for Newcastle. Yes, he's badly out of sorts at the moment, and he's the most one-footed player I think I've seen <laughs> in my life. But my goodness, he, he, he's he's been a good servant to the club. But, yeah. You no, know, I, I I was saying to Gibbo earlier, out of that Sunderland side, I think there are seven or eight of them who will be playing regular Premier League football within two or three years. But they're not playing it now. Newcastle, they've got the they wear the t-shirt. They've got the t-shirt. They're in bad form. But if they play well, they're going to win. It's a big if. 
what's going to happen? <sighs> what an if. Um, I think the quality will shine through in the end. Newcastle's quality yep. will shine through in the end. Uh, there's the big um, unanswerable, will someone lose their head? Is a Bruno Guimaraes, is a Joel Linton on, mm-hmm. on Newcastle's side? Are they going to get the red mist early on? Um, we don't know. And that that could be a leveller. Of course it could. Uh, but it could same could happen for Sunderland. They're going to be fired up for this like they've never yes. been fired up for a game in their life. And however, well, take away the 6,000, how many Sunderland fans does that leave? It's going to be raucous, I'm sure. It's going to be intense. It's going to be toxic. Um, Newcastle, you'd imagine, would handle that. I mean, Eddie spoke about that today, didn't he? About playing in these atmospheres a little bit and, and how that experience should be able to help them. But... Um, What's going to happen? I think it's going to be blood and thunder. I think Newcastle's quality will eventually shine through. Uh, I would suspect the same. It wouldn't surprise me if, if Sunderland take the lead. It wouldn't surprise no. me if on the hour the game is in the balance. But I suspect too, I'm going for a 2-1 Newcastle win. I might be wrong. I don't say it with any great confidence, Oscar, because I think this Sunderland side, if they do play well... They they could tr- yeah. they could trouble good sides you know they did it at Leicester earlier this season they did it against Fulham last season and uh, you, you know it's and, and, and we shouldn't and sorry we shouldn't forget Ian we shouldn't forget Newcastle's away form is atrocious um, well that's right and the, they're, yes they yes. bang out of form in general and their away form is atrocious they've been Sheffield United it's the only side they've beaten on the road this season Luton outplayed them so if Luton can outplay them at Kenilworth Road. On paper, are Luton and Sunderland too much different? Obviously, different styles. Yeah. Luton beat mm-hmm. Sunderland in the playoffs. I, I, you've got to, you've got to, yet, got to question yet, that, haven't you? Yes, and there are so many ifs and buts here. And to counter what you've just said, Oscar, which is a very valid point, Newcastle have gone to San Siro, they've gone to Paris, they've gone to, and they've got creditable draws, very unlucky not to yeah. win it in Paris. And let's not forget, in front of an old Trafford full house in the Carabao Cup, they thoroughly dominated yep. a Man United side, albeit a dreadful Man United side. This is true. Uh, I was out in Milan. Uh, it was a creditable draw, uh, only because of well, they dug in. AC Milan should have should have been well out of sight. Um, yes, granted, but the league the league away form has been atrocious. Anyhow, has alluded to this many many times. He can't quite work it out. They, they're not the same team as they are at their best at St James's Park. Correct. They haven't yes. been all season. Um, so we shall see. Listen, it, I, I opened the show, Oscar, apologising to our Middlesbrough fans because they've got a great game tomorrow, but the show has, and quite correctly, been dominated by the first FA Cup match between Newcastle and Sunderland in almost 70 years. But can can, can we just talk about the, the Middlesbrough-Aston Villa game and knowing you, I know you, you would have loved to be at both games, but do you give Borough a chance? No. <laughs> right. Um, not really. Um, I think they've got a better chance against Chelsea on Tuesday, really. Uh, certainly in the first leg. Um, I, agree. I I mean, look, it's not for, we all know how well Villa, are, how they've been transformed under Unai Emery. They, mm. I spoke to George Boateng today, actually, a, a right. midfielder of both, of both clubs. Wonderful player. Out in the Wonderful sun player. Tomorrow. Um, he was part of the side which lost the 2000 FA Cup final with um, Villa. Villa haven't won a trophy for a long, old time. Um, and this is their chance. Unai's not going to be 
putting out a makeshift side for this. Um, can Borough do it? Of course they can, but I, I would, I would expect Villa to to come through that comfortably. Personally, yes. What do yeah, you think? I'll, I'll, well, I, I was at the Middlesbrough Leicester game earlier this season, and as I mentioned to Dave earlier, Leicester are Premier League in all but name, and the game plan that. Michael Carrick devised and which was expertly executed by his players was so impressive. I suspect it will be very similar tomorrow. Mm. Middlesbrough have got match winners themselves. They are they are only consistent in the inconsistency. You know, <laughs> yes, they, they they had a losing run at the beginning of the season, then they had a long winning streak. But now, how how do you judge a side who can beat Leicester, who give Leeds a run for the money at Elland Road, yet lose to Rotherham? You know, and I was at the game the other day, and they absolutely dominated a Coventry side. Should have been out of sight at half time. The Coventry keeper Sam Collins had a blinder, and yet they ran out of gas. Now, mm. like all our teams, you know, they have had a few days rest for the first time in a long time. Middlesbrough have had an injury t- crisis equally as bad as Newcastle. And of course, because yeah. of the League Cup run, they've had a tight schedule. So, yeah. yeah, I would expect Middlesbrough to lose as well. And I would expect Michael Carrick to, he wouldn't admit it, but I, I would think he'd be prioritising the Chelsea game as well. Interesting, interesting. Uh, just going back to chat with George earlier, asking the same question. No, you can't. You can't do that. Um, will he do that? It will be interesting. But wh- why wouldn't you prioritise the the Carabao Cup when you're potentially a win or two away from Wembley for Borough to get to the final of the FA Cup? I mean, you can't. You can't start thinking about that yet, can you? Um, so, yeah. Well, you're there, aren't you, Ian? Tomorrow. Yes, I'm, I'm at Borough tomorrow. I'm going to. I'm, yeah. I've thoroughly enjoyed your your debut uh, appearance on the Black and White and Red All Over Show. I'm going to finish asking you one question: Will you be going to Wembley to cover the North Sea East Side this season, Oscar? Uh, no. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I think you've been just about the most honest guest I've had. You, you, no. You're not afraid to say what you want. It's been fantastic talking no. to you, and uh, you, you've uh, you've spoken like a veteran. Good man. Thank, so you, thank you. Thank you so much for having all, me. Take care. All the best. Thank Oscar. Take care. Fantastic. Yes, I'll tell you what. He he has got some of the nuances of his uh, of the Cobbold family. I think it's his it's his uh, grandmother's. Grandmother's brothers were Patrick yeah. and John Cobble. I mean, fasc- fascinating uh, heritage. Yeah, absolutely. He's a great lad. He's a great lad, and he's he's uh, he's fitted into the northeast media community like a glove. There you go. There you go. Uh, not long left. Uh, it really is just um, uh, a minute and a half to wrap up, Ian. Um, ahead yeah, of what I is mean, uh, what is uh, uh, it's a big week, a big weekend, a uh, big week actually for Borough. Well. Well, that's right. Let, let, let's let's finish by talking about Boa. Absolutely. At the moment, you know, Middlesbrough fighting on three fronts. Uh, let's hope that this time next week they're still fighting at least on two. The playoffs are still alive. They still have a chance of a Wembley appearance in the Carabao Cup and they could spring a surprise tomorrow. But the odds are against them. I'm still a big fan of Michael Carrick, whatever happens. Yeah, and uh, it was interesting, the lads, when we were listening to them just before you came on air, you know, Higgy particularly saying Carrick really doesn't have, because of the injury crisis, he doesn't have that advantage where he could he could juggle a few players, rotate his squad, 
he's basically got what he's got to field. You know, he's got to field what he's got, and that's that's the situation that he's going into these games, which he probably wouldn't have wanted, but. You know, he has shown himself to have a bit of technical nous. Maybe he has got something a little bit special for Villa up his sleeve. And if they do rest players and put out a, a weaker, not weakened, a weaker team, then maybe Borough stand a chance of something. Absolutely. And, and before we go, Dave, it would be remiss of me not to mark the, uh, the death of Keith Lamb, who has been one of the great administrators of... Uh, yeah. of northeast football not just Teesside football of course he was there at the time in the golden era of Middlesbrough football club so sympathies to his family yeah absolutely I crossed swords with uh, with Keith a few times uh, but he was always professional fair, fair but firm and uh, our, our absolutely our condolences got uh, to Keith's family and friends see you next week Dave okay see you then lots to talk about obviously between now and then cheersy Black and white and red all over. He can talk football all day. Ian Murta. The red, the cat and the tail.